Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church Podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. It is great to see you this morning. A happy Palm Sunday. Of course, this Sunday for us uh, kicks off what is traditionally known as Passion Week or the week uh, leading up to Jesus' death uh, and resurrection. If you have a Bible, you can open to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to pick up in verse 4 where we left off last week in our new series, I guess second week of our new series, The Way of Love. We're talking through, teaching through 1 Corinthians 13 uh, as we get to Easter next week. So many of you pointed out uh, last week's email uh, that you got uh, was eerily similar to a famous line from a 1993 pop song by, of course, the very famous dance electronica musician Hathaway, What is Love? John Zila even sent me a wonderful text message with him looking at the email on his phone and singing, What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Of course, that song is made most famous, I think, by Night of the Roxbury, Saturday Night Live skit, and then later a movie with uh, Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan. Didn't win any Oscars, but it was entertaining. So salute the importance of brotherly love and being true to yourself. Unfortunately, though, that movie doesn't answer the question before us, what is love? Last week, we saw that love was vital Vital for us to have a healthy and vibrant church. That using our gifts and talents without love leads to a place where our church could be self-consumed and unhealthy and really to our death. Even the best things we saw last week like faith and serving others can become meaningless if they're not motivated by this thing called love. But we last week, just like that night at the Roxbury, didn't answer this question, what is love? What exactly are we talking about when we talk about this concept of love? And that's the question that Paul is going to answer for us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Should be fairly familiar to you as we read it together. Love is patient and kind. Love does not boast, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, he says, love never fails. Do you notice what's missing from this passage, this robust definition of love? It's not defined in terms of romance. That's often the way we would think of love. He doesn't say love is that feeling that takes your breath away. Love is butterflies in your stomach. He doesn't say love is exciting. He doesn't say love is like feeling like a teenager all over again. He also doesn't define love in terms of desire. He doesn't say love is a craving. I love some tacos, barbacoa tacos from Tacos Del Chava. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that love is satisfying something inside of us. He also doesn't define love in terms of being loved. 
He doesn't put it in the context of other people's actions towards us. It's not about self-interest. Instead of a list of feelings, what we get from Paul is a list of actions. He tells us what love does, how love acts. That love is dynamic, not static. That it is active, that love does something. For some of you church kids who've been around for a while, it turns out DC Talk was right. And their 1992 hit song, I use the term loosely, hit song, love is a verb. Good news is today, if cheesy Christian rappers can get it right, then maybe so can we, right? Maybe more appropriately is what Bob Goff says in his book, Love Does. He says, that's because love is station, is never stationary. In the end, love doesn't just keep thinking about it or keep planning for it. Simply put, he says, love does. Well, if love does, then what does love do? Well, let's look back at the text. The first two verses, Paul answers this question, how does love relate to others? How does love relate to others? Verse four, he says, love is patient. Love is long-suffering. Love doesn't need immediate satisfaction or gratification. Love is not then a teenage boy trying to rush into what he thinks he wants. Love waits, endures, love even suffers. Love is my wife, patiently putting up with my insistent tapping and drumming on everything constantly. Love is patient like one of our missional community leaders, waiting for one of their group members to see the truth for themselves instead of forcing it. Love is a mom reminding her son for the 11,432nd time to feed the dog. Love patiently plays the long game. He says love is kind. Or love is tenderhearted and compassionate, it's gentle. Love is not taking advantage of others, but putting others first. Love is the Grinch at the end of the movie, not at the beginning. Love, he says, doesn't envy. Love isn't filled with jealousy. Love doesn't need to take what another person has or long for what another person has found success in. Love wants to give away what the other person needs. Love, he says, does not boast. It's not vainglorious. Love then is not a middle school boy full of empty boasts about how fast he can run or how much money his daddy makes. Love has no need to puff itself up or draw attention to his or herself. It is not so fragile that it needs praise. Love is not arrogant. Love doesn't consider himself or herself better than someone else. Instead, practices building up another person. Love is not rude. It doesn't behave indecency, indecently. There is a sexual connotation behind here, meaning that love isn't crass, coarse, or contemptible. It deals with other people respectfully with honor. Love, he says, does not insist on its own way. Love doesn't try to take advantage of others. But the person who loves puts other people first. Love is not irritable or cantankerous, not easily provoked to anger. 
So love is not marked by bar fights or Twitter wars. The one who loves isn't easily pulled into Facebook battles over politics. Love, then, he says, is not resentful. The idea here is love does not keep evil on the books. Love doesn't hold a grudge. It's not looking to get even. Love isn't consumed with bitterness. Love is aware of evil, but does not ignore it. Instead, tries to overcome it. So we could summarize these two verses simply. Love does good to others. That's what love does. Love does good to others. Secondly, verse six, how does love relate to the world? How does love navigate this place where we all live? A place that puts a premium on getting ahead and getting even and getting what you want. A place that is often deceptive. Because there's two simple characteristics. He says, love, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love doesn't take joy in injustice. It is not love, Paul says, to excuse wickedness or violence. Now, we are tempted here to go, well, but that's what the other side does. Those libs, they don't fight fair. So we got to rejoice when we get even or when we get ahead. Those folks on the conservative side, they're so mean. So we got to be mean too. No, 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 no. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, no matter the side who does the wrongdoing. It is not love to ignore wrongdoing. Even, even if the one in the wrong is a friend. It's not love to hide behind polity instead of acting to prevent and protect sexual abuse in our churches. Not love. Love doesn't watch as millions of people are being trafficked. Love doesn't turn a blind eye to suffering. Love doesn't laugh along with the wicked. But instead, he says, love rejoices in the truth, takes great joy in the truth. Love then isn't escapism, but rejoices in reality. Love is happy about honesty. Love is brokenhearted by deception. No one who truly loves takes joy in empty flattery. Love doesn't celebrate people living out their truth when we know their truth isn't the truth. Love doesn't ask reality to bend to it, but it is shaped by reality. This means love is tough and resilient isn't easily derailed when things don't go our way. That people who love aren't self-deceived or deluded. In order to love, we know ourselves well, our strengths and our weaknesses. When we love, we take great joy in hearing hard things because we know often the hardest things are the things that help us to grow as followers of Jesus. So we could say this way, love does what is true in a deceptive world. That love is tough at the heart. Love is a willingness to fight injustice and to speak against wickedness. That love is resilient. This is why Jen Oshman in her book, Confronting Cultural Counterfeits, 
talks about this idea in our current culture of living outside of reality. That we live in a day and time where we long to bend reality to ourselves. Force everything in the world to conform to who we are. She says it leads to suffering. But instead, she says, human well-being requires harmony with reality, and that's what we rejoice in. Not ignoring what's wicked or unjust, but fighting to overcome it by constantly proclaiming what is true. We often think about these things, love and truth, as opposed to each other. We even quote from Paul, from Ephesians and say, speaking the truth in love, what we really mean is you got to sweeten the deal a little bit to say what you want to say. A little honey is going to help the medicine go down. But let me remind you, friends, 1 John says God is love. The Bible also clearly teaches us that God is true. In the very character of God is both love and truth. They are not opposites of each other. They work in concert together. They are two sides of the same coin. Any issue that we have between a division of truth and love is an issue with us, not truth and not love. The problem is us. To be loving is to be truthful. To be truthful is to be loving. Now, that does not undo the previous two verses. We should still be marked by kindness and patience, a lack of bitterness and resentment. And we should be a people who rejoice in what is true, good, and honest. So then how does love respond when things don't go correctly? Verse seven. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love, he says, never ends. Another way to think of this is in the negative. Love never tires of support. Love never loses faith. Love never exhausts hope. Love never gives up. Love is what gives us persistence and perseverance. Love is Chucky Sullivan pushing Will Hunting to chase his dreams and to make something of his life, supporting him even though it comes with sacrifice. Love is Bishop Muriel not only letting Jean Valjean off the hook for his theft, but then in faith speaking a new reality into his life, saying, you belong no longer to evil but to good. It is your soul that I'm buying for you. I withdraw it from dark thoughts and from the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. Love is Captain America standing up to Thanos without a bro- with a broken shield, even when he thinks he is alone. Love never gives up on the hope of possibility. Love is Frodo and Samwise constantly moving forward to Mordor. Never giving up, even when things seem impossible, love endures. Everything else we know will pass away. Good things will fade. I don't know if you came in here as a five-star high school recruit going into college, but your athletic prowess will dissipate. Your 
quick wit will one day dim. Your successful business will be owned and operated by someone else. Your family will not last forever. Your legacy will probably be forgotten. But one thing endures, he says, love. And so what does love do in difficult circumstances? How does love respond? Love always does what it does. I couldn't think of a better way to say that. Love just always does all the things that we've talked about love doing to this point. This then is a beautiful picture of love. There's a reason why it's in so many wedding ceremonies. I've had the privilege of officiating many wedding ceremonies of people here. I love it. It's a joy. We often read this passage. It is beautiful. And yet, when you think about it, it is also soul crushing. If this is the standard that Jesus had in mind when he commanded us to love God and love our neighbor, then who can obey this overwhelming commandment? If you took the great commandment and shoved this definition in the place of love your God and love your neighbor, all of a sudden you start to get fingers pointed back at you, fingers pointed back at me. How could I always love God? with this sort of ferocity? How could I love my neighbor with patience and kindness? How could I always avoid envy and jealousy? How could I never treat people with rudeness or ever be self-seeking? Who can love like this? The truth is this text, while beautiful and captivating, also has a sting to it. It is convicting as much as it is compelling, It is indicting as much as it is inspiring. It is as damning as it is dazzling. And it is as incriminating as it is incredible. The best news of this passage is though that this definition of love isn't about a concept. That this definition of love isn't about a lofty aspiration. But that this definition of love is about a person. That there is one who loves like this. There is one who perfectly defines love in action. There is one who does love. Please don't be confused. This passage isn't as much about how we should love as it is about how we have been loved. This verse describes a person, not just an idea or an emotion. The definition of love is not a concept, but a person. And so perhaps... In the night at the Roxbury, 1993 song by Hathaway, What is Love, got the question wrong. Maybe the question we ask today isn't, what is love? Maybe the question should be, who is love? Of course, John, the disciple of Jesus, tells us very simply, God is love. And if God is love, and love does then do you know who the perfect embodiment of love is for you and me? God in person, acting in love, Jesus. Jesus does. Jesus is the one who perfectly does exactly what love does. You see, Jesus is patient. He's the ultimate example of patience as he loves us despite our shortcomings. 
God in Jesus puts his patience on display, not wishing, the Bible says, that any would perish, but in patience, come to repentance, to come home. Jesus is kind. Jesus is the one who loved us deeply, displaying his kindness to us by sacrificing his own life for us on the cross. And it is his kindness that leads us to turning to God in repentance. Jesus is not marked by envy, but instead, Philippians chapter 2 says, emptied himself. Jesus does not boast. Again, Philippians chapter 2 says he made himself into a servant. Jesus is not arrogant. Jesus is marked by humility. Jesus never insists on his own way, came as a servant, Paul says. The example we see of Jesus is not one who is irritable, but one who stands ready to give more grace. Not one who is resentful, but one who keeps no record of wrong, longing to forgive. Jesus perfectly does not rejoice in wrongdoing. And Jesus perfectly rejoices in the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is, John chapter 1 says, full of grace and truth. It is Jesus who bears all things, bearing the full weight of our sin for us on the cross. Jesus is the only one who always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus is God's perfect example of love for us. And it is his unconditional love that is never ending. Friends, today, no matter what you've done, you cannot find the bottom of his love. You cannot exhaust his love. You cannot wear out his love. You cannot outlast his love. You cannot outrun his love. You cannot outdo his love. It is never ending. His promise to his followers is that he will never leave them or forsake them that he continues to love us when we are at our very worst. He is willing to rescue us when we have nowhere else to turn. He will never abandon us even when we turn our backs on him. 1 Corinthians 13 contains a definition of love that we should aspire to, yes and amen. But even more than that, it is a description of a person who loves us. So if you came today and you don't know Christ, you've never experienced this kind of love, let me just say as plainly as I can, you are loved. You may look at the character traits in 1 Corinthians 13 and think, I am none of these things. I am not good at any of these things. I am not patient. I'm not kind. The truth is, Brandon, if you knew me, I am full of envy. I'd love to have somebody else's life right now. I'm often full of arrogance and pride. I think about myself constantly. Maybe today, reading through this list, you're like, no, no, I am rude. I am self-seeking. I anger easily. And I am quick to review who's wronged me, how they wronged me, when they wronged me, and how I'm getting even with them. So what do we do? when we're faced with the reality that we're not as loving of people as we thought we were. It's the good news of the Bible. The good news of Jesus. The good news is this. Jesus did what is required of you for you. It's the message of Christianity. It is not about what you have done. It's about what Jesus did for you in your place.
It is not that you loved God first, but that Jesus first loved you. This is Romans 5, 8. That God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you get the force of that? That before you and I earned it or deserved it, before you and I had a list of right actions to present to God, that Jesus loved and died for us in our place. You might fall short of every every characteristic of love in this passage. In fact, if we're honest, most of us probably do. And yet this morning, despite that, you are loved by Jesus. And if you are overwhelmed by your guilt of being unloving towards God and unloving towards your neighbor, the good news is there is a way from out underneath that guilt for you today. By receiving this unconditional love of God expressed in the person of Jesus. By seeing clearly that Jesus died for you in your place. By understanding that our sin, our unloving actions have separated us from God, but there is a reunion possible because of Jesus' death on the cross. And today is a day where you could be embraced by the love of God. Here's the amazing thing. It doesn't work like this. So we often think when we think about religion, the way it works. You turn 1 Corinthians 13 into a checklist, and when you check all the things off the list, then you're good with God. It's not the way it works. That's a soul-crushing path. The way it works is you acknowledge that you can't check the boxes. That Jesus checked the boxes for you. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin with his death. Next week, we're going to celebrate Jesus rose from the dead, and all you have to do is trust it. Place your faith in Jesus as your Savior. That's the response. Maybe some of us who are believers are asking this question, how can I grow in love? You know what would be really silly? It would be really silly if we got into God's family by not checking things off the, box, off the list, checking boxes. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, but to grow in love, what I need is a checklist and start checking things off the boxes. That's silliness. You know what we need? We need what everybody else needs, an experience with love. How did you learn how to love? Textbook? How did you learn how to love? Got a manual, like the driver's manual, starting for your driver's test. Teach me how to love. What do the signs mean? From a self-help book? No. You learn to love by experiencing love. You learn to love by experiencing a mother's sacrifice. You learn to love by attention from a father. You learn to love by extra time given to you by a really great teacher. You learn to love by concern of a wonderful coach. You learn to love from the commitment of a brother who walked with you through a difficult time. You learn to love with the patience of a sister who put up with your junk for years and years and years. You learn to love by being loved. And so if you want to grow in love, if you want to look more like 1 Corinthians 13, the way to do it is not to form a checklist, but to turn 1 Corinthians 13 into worship. 
to this week, go back to that text every single day and allow that text to fill you with awe that Jesus loves you like this. That this is who Jesus has been to you. And that will, over time, like that Grinch's heart grew, start to expand your heart and your love. You'll see over and over again the unbelievable truth of how you have been loved. You'll be reminded every day, if you do it this week in the text, Jesus was patient with you. Jesus was kind with you. Jesus didn't puff himself up over you. Jesus came to serve you. Jesus doesn't keep a record of wrong. And that will slowly fill your heart with awe and joy and wonder. And you will begin to want to love like you've been loved. So today, here's how we're going to ask you to respond. If you've never come to a place a point in time in your life where you have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Today's the day. Joel says, today is the day of salvation. Today's the day. Please don't delay. Please don't wait. Love is available for you right now in this very moment. All you have to do is receive it. So if that's you today, immediately following the service, one of our church leaders is going to be the next steps table. Man, you just come. and You just come quickly. And say, I want to know Christ. Tell me how I can know Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus today, man, let's change our hearts by worshiping. Let's become more like 1 Corinthians 13 by meditating on the goodness and love of Jesus to us. So I want to challenge you today, every day, leading up to Easter, these four verses, just pull them out, put them on the background of your phone, put a bookmark in your Bible, just spend a little bit of time every day meditating on the fact that you have been loved in this way by Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.